what works and what doesn't. Understanding what works. What works for me. Understanding your own business to know what works. What works for you. This is What Works. I consume a lot of content. Like, a lot. At the risk of this sounding like a humble brag, let me give you a taste of what I mean by a lot. I'm currently reading three books, a sci-fi novella, a book about bureaucracy, and a book about economics. I listen to about two hours of podcasts every day. I keep up with the news, read academic papers, and spare a bit of time for social media. Now, as I see it, this is my job. Two years ago, I made myself a promise. And that promise was to create the circumstances I needed to publish only remarkable content. My definition of remarkable was quite simple. I'd consider my content remarkable if I believed it had the power to provoke conversation or introspection. For me, remarkable content was content that demanded engagement of one sort or another. To create remarkable content, I have to consume remarkable content. I'm Tara McMullen, and this is What Works, the show that explores how to navigate the 21st century economy without losing your humanity. When I started this remarkable content commitment at the beginning of 2021, I was at a professional crossroads, even if I didn't quite know it yet. What I did know was that the type of content I consumed and the type of content I created were not of a kind. I'd been a strategic content marketer for so long that I'd forgotten how to simply be a writer or a podcaster. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't believe that remarkable content can't be strategic content marketing, but I could look at what I'd produced in the name of strategy and marketing and objectively say, this isn't my best work. At the same time, I was reading and listening to people who were creating remarkable media. They were journalists, academics, capital W writers, and capital P podcasters. And despite my floundering self-efficacy, there was a small voice inside of me that said, I can do that too. Now, I can't give you a step-by-step plan for how I did that or a blueprint you can follow so you can do it too. And it would be presumptuous of me to even say that I have done it, but I'm working on it. Truth be told, there's a good chance you have zero interest in mimicking my departure from the best practices of strategic content marketing. And there's an even better chance that it's just not the right move for your business. But my friend Jay Akunzo of The Unthinkable Podcast recently posted some ideas for making any creative work more remarkable. And they are, in fact, about as close to a framework for how my work has shifted over the last two years as any I could come up with myself. Plus, they offer some provocations that might help you discover the principle of remarkability in your own work and light the fire of your creativity. 
Jay's first suggestion is to ask questions Google can't answer. Considering that ask better questions was my one and only commitment for 2022, I can't stress the importance of this one enough. As content marketers, we're explicitly trained to answer exactly the kinds of questions Google can answer. That's like the foundational principle of search engine optimization. But these questions are generally the least interesting questions one can ask. My own take on this is to not only ask questions Google can't answer, but to ask questions that simply don't have an answer. And that leads me to Jay's second suggestion. Treat creative work as a means to try and understand, not a way to share what you already know. Expertise is marketable, for sure. But curiosity and openness are too in their own ways. At this point in my life and career, I'm not interested in getting paid for what I know. I'm interested in getting paid for thinking differently and guiding others to think differently too. If I can formulate a sticky question that others are interested in and then explore that question from multiple angles instead of outright answering it, I know that I will produce some type of remarkable work. Jay's third suggestion is to never embark on a new project without first freeing up 150% of the time needed to produce it. Now that extra 50%, it's not margin. It's not because we're bad at calculating how long projects take. It's thinking time. I spend an inordinate amount of my actual working time thinking. And Jay says that if creative work is what you do, then thinking is the main thing you ought to be good at. The fourth suggestion is to consume way less business or marketing content. 100% yes, that. <laughs> I listened to a small business podcast this morning for the first time in years. Shout out to Jenny Blake and her free time podcast. Does that mean I'm a bit out of touch with what everybody's talking about right now? Damn right, I am. And that's why my work doesn't resemble anyone else's in this field. And finally, Jay recommends starting a creative practice. That means regularly creating in a way that the process is the point rather than metrics recognition or achievement. And if you're thinking, I don't have time for that. I bet there is something you're doing right now that is attempting to move metrics that could be eliminated. Because for all the time we spend on strategic content and marketing, most of it is wasted energy. That's right. And if that sounds like an overstatement, consider where your results are really coming from and how much time and energy those things actually require. Now, I know that not everyone who listens to What Works wants to become a writer or podcaster. In fact, you might be considering how you might spend as little time as possible creating content or scrolling social media, and I fully support that. The principle of remarkability doesn't only apply to content. It applies to any type of creative work, care work, or information work. And that's just about all types of work today. Jay and I have thought long and hard about the circumstances we require to do remarkable work. 
This is my invitation to consider what circumstances you require to do your best work in remarkable ways. This week, I'm wrapping up the series of drops from other pods with my interview on the Flaunt Your Fire podcast with India Jackson. You most recently heard from India in the Self-Help LLC series, where I explored self-control and the body in the 21st century economy. And she was previously on What Works to talk about her brand visibility agency back in the summer of 2020. So like, you know, 50 years ago. Anyhow, Indy and I explored some of the ideas I've shared here, as well as some of the difficult decisions I've had to make in service of my commitment to remarkable work and my own health. Keep listening to hear that full conversation and then check out the Flaunt Your Fire podcast wherever you listen to What Works or at flauntyourfire.com. People think they know what to expect, but they haven't met you yet. And in order to get there, you have to lean into who you are, make people feel something. And I've been questioning, what is that like? How is that even possible? If we're subscribing to the rhetoric that it's content being king, that we're all supposed to be content marketers and we need to sell or die. What is that leaving on the table? So how do we begin to settle into ourselves, do things differently, and show up as we evolve? That's exactly what I'm going to dig in with you today. You're listening to Flaunt Your Fire, the brand visibility podcast where we own our values as we amplify our influence. And I'm your host, India Jackson. And I'm so excited to be here with you today for this episode. I got to tell you, I'm going to be going back and re-listening to this episode myself. (laughs) It's that good. Today, I'm going to be joined by Tara McMullen. Tara's a writer, podcaster, and producer. For over 13 years, she studied small business owners, how they live, how they work, what influences them, and what they hope for the future. She's the host of What Works, a podcast about navigating the 21st century economy with your humanity intact. Tara is also the co-founder of Yellow House Media, our amazing podcast production company that produces this show as well as Pause and Play. They do incredible work, and we are so grateful for the work that they do on our shows every week. Tara's work has been featured in Fast Company, The Startup, The Muse, and The Huffington Post. Her first book, What Works, a comprehensive framework to change the way we approach goal setting, will be released in November. I'm just so excited to dig into this conversation because there's a lot that has been on my mind and on my radar about the world of marketing, how we show up, what we're creating and putting out into the world, and why. I'm probably telling my age a bit by saying this, but I joined Facebook back when you needed a university email address to have an account. I joined Instagram back when you had to actually use the app to take the photos that you were going to share in it. And I've witnessed these platforms. I've witnessed our world change right in front of me from 
very specific platforms to a world of content marketing. And what I mean by that is a world where we are given the rhetoric that we need to produce more and more to be seen, to be witnessed, to be noticed, to be able to call people into what we're selling or what we want to influence them by. And there's some merit to being able to share something and the power that has to pull people in. And at the same time, I have been questioning when we believe in the myth of more, instead of looking at the quality and the purpose of our content, might we be shifting our culture in a direction that is not helpful? And I know that that is a rabbit hole to go down, right? But that's the rabbit hole I've been going down for a while now is how are we communicating? Why are we communicating? And what is possible if we communicate for impact, for results, for transforming situations and people and culture and society instead of just communicating because we feel like we have to put out some content every week? And this is the headline or this is the content that is going to attract the most people to come look at it. But maybe it's even giving empty promises, right? Maybe that headline is leading us to something that the article doesn't even address or the episode doesn't even address. These are the thoughts on the inside of my mind and the explorations I've been digging into. And I'm not alone here. This is also something that Tara McMullen has been digging into as well and has created some interesting works that really get you thinking around this concept. So before we dig in, I do think it's important to have shared meaning. And so this is actually not my meaning. I'm actually giving you a definition from the internet. (laughs) But if you are here right now and you're like, what do you mean by content marketing? Content marketing is defined as a marketing strategy used to attract, engage, and retain an audience by creating and sharing articles, videos, podcasts, and other media. Now, this is a tactic. This is a strategy. Um, And this approach has the possibility to establish expertise, but often I see it being focused on the second piece of promoting brand awareness and keeping your business top of mind so that when it's time to buy something, people think of you first. Tara has been on a beautiful transformation to witness in Tara's own content, um, Tara's business evolution, and the internal structure of how Tara makes money, how Tara lives and works and how Tara shows up online. And so I think it's important whenever I have an opportunity to not just talk about a concept or talk about something that's happening in our culture or in marketing or in visibility, but to also be able to share with you real living human examples of how this plays out when we begin to question these things and also when we begin to allow ourselves to continue to show up as we evolve and uh, shift our businesses, shift our structure, shift how we make money and share that process along the way. Because so often in our culture and society, brands and business owners and entrepreneurs and professionals show you the before 
and show you the after, but you miss the middle. And oftentimes we just witness the after. <laughs> and so I think it's important to also witness what is possible for you. You know, what does that middle place look like? What can we achieve when we begin to take a moment to come back to ourselves and to acknowledge what is going to be of the greatest service for how we need to show up in the world? And also, how can we work in a way that makes sense for us and create things that are building the legacy that we want to have? The things that have sparked our fire, have piqued our interest, and have brought creativity back into our lives. Because so often the creativity and that fire and that interest gets lost in the sauce of like, here's what you need to do to be successful based on someone else's standards. Tara's a great example of that. All right. Well, I don't want to delay any further. So in this episode, we're going to dig into what flaunting your fire means for Tara right now. We're going to talk about a brief history of Tara's career and what sparked Tara to begin making shifts in her brand, identity, and business model. And you know it wouldn't be a Flaunt Your Fire episode if there wasn't at least one action that you can take today instead of just consuming the show, but actually be able to take an action from this episode to get some results in your life and in your brand. So let's dig in. Let's get the show on the road. Thank you so much for being here today, Tara. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Same. And I feel like it would not be a Flaunt Your Fire episode if I didn't acknowledge your incredible transformation, evolution, journey, whatever word feels true for you. And it makes me very curious to know right now, today, what does flaunting your fire mean for you? Right now, today, flaunting my fire is paying attention to what fuels me and and what fuels my fire and really letting that burn in a way that brings what I need to me. And I think, you know, here it is, it's July and late July even. And I think this whole year for me has been an object lesson in trusting that what fuels my fire is also going to be in one way or another, a path to meeting my own needs. Mm, I love that. So often as entrepreneurs, as creators, we can forget to pay attention to the fuel for that fire. And so I love that this is something that you're investing your time and your thoughts into. I can't help but notice where you are today, the types of things that you're exploring and also sharing publicly are definitely feel like a shift. They definitely feel like there's been like a dropping of a veil or something happening here. So I know we're going to talk about where you are now and the shifts that have happened, but for Anyone who may be new to who you are, would you mind sharing a brief history of like how you got here? What was your career before? Yes, the TLDR, if you will. Well, I I think one thing to know about me is that 
while I operate in the business space today, my background is in religious studies. So my my educational background is in religious studies and and sort of the philosophy of religion and sociology of religion. And that is still stuff that also really fuels my fire. <laughs> but my sort of career path that I'm currently on really started back in 2009. I started as a blogger, just straight up blogger. In 2009, we weren't so much thinking about building online businesses as we were thinking about ways to make money online and blogging was one of those things. So there is a lot of what I do now that is way closer to what I was doing then than I'm what I did in the interim decade. But in the interim decade, I realized that I really enjoyed learning about business and about marketing specifically and operations and just kind of how the whole internet was starting to form around platforms that allowed people to carve out independent careers and build companies, build businesses. And so for most of, let's say, 2011 through till the end of 2021, I was working with business owners in one form or another. Sometimes that was as a business coach. Sometimes it was as a group facilitator. Sometimes it was as a community leader or an educator. All of my work was sort of revolving around some sort of product or service offering for small business owners on the topic of how to run your business better, how to build a stronger business. And then at the end of 2021, I decided that I really, I essentially needed to make a career change <laughs> and mm -hmm. that I wanted to really pursue writing as my full-time career. And so, as I said, you know, it kind of harkens back to where I started more than where I sort of left off at the end of 2021. And so today I think of myself as a writer first that encompasses my podcast as well that I've been doing for six years now, almost 400 episodes in. It encompasses freelance writing. I have a book coming out in November and it's sort of just, I'm, I'm really still figuring it out, but I'm feeling very confident in owning writing or being a writer as a career and as an identity. I hope that is the sort of TLDR that you were looking for. Absolutely. And I think I first discovered you, oh, I want to say it was like 2010, 2011. That's way back. <laughs> when you were Creative Live. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Creative Live started in 2013. So not quite that far back. Okay. But yeah, that's where a lot of people found me first is on Creative Live, which is a, a partnership that I still have to this day. We're talking about what classes I'm going to come and, and develop for them next month. And I just did three more, three new classes with them last month. That'll be up soon. But yeah, that's my relationship with Creative Live in terms of my career evolution and my evolution, even in my identity is it's there. It's a really big part of it. And it's been a really stable force for me to experiment with some different things over the years. And I'm just always so grateful for them. But I'm also grateful for sort of the skills and the processing that I have learned through doing work with them. And it's I think it's made me 
it's it's made me a better thinker, which is really important to me. And for anyone who's not familiar with that, I'll say from my perspective of being like freshly out of, well, not as freshly as I thought, but <laughs> freshly out of college <laughs> and looking to continue education, it was a very easy platform to go and find courses and materials based on exactly whatever it was you're curious about or whatever additional information and knowledge you were seeking at the time. With the shifts and things that have happened, I'm kind of wondering like, what sparked you to begin to make what, from my perspective, what I witnessed seemed like very tiny changes one at a time, tiny bits of evolution one at a time that led to feeling like things are very different now than maybe they were four, three, five years ago for your brand, your identity, and your business model? Yeah. So I appreciate that you said that it was very small changes at first and that those small changes have added up to a pretty monumental (laughs) shift. I would say that starting, well, starting in 2017, when I took my business model and really upended it. So instead of running group coaching programs under the brand that I used to run them under, I rejiggered everything so that I could create more of a community-based business model. I was very much interested in not being seen as a guru, as not even so much being seen as a, as an expert, and instead being seen as someone who could curate and gather and definitely lend my own experience and observations and insight, but someone who was sort of part of the community at the same time I was leading the community, which is not what I had in the group coaching space. And so that shift is probably really what started those initial changes where I, you know, I had been building a personal brand for years and years. And I decided at that point to really focus on building a impersonal brand. No, that's not right. But <laughs> Something a, a brand that, that wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Something that was bigger than myself. And I think that was a really necessary change because I can I realize now I was very much I had completely lost touch with my own identity because it was completely filtered through should I post this on Instagram should I post this on Twitter what am I going to say on Facebook today what am I going to put out in my newsletter right and I think that a lot of people struggle with those questions but I don't know that we realize quite that impact and the depth of the impact that those questions have on how we relate to ourselves and how we relate to others. And so I think that was sort of the first step in addressing some of the personal issues that I was starting to experience because of the business. So that was the first thing and kind of rode that for the first couple of years of running that community and things were good. And then in 2020, Obviously, 2020 happened. I don't need to explain that. But where I found myself was having established now this this sort of company brand, feeling good about that, feeling good about the direction our business model was, was headed and where the numbers were headed. And I was also facilitating some 
mastermind groups. So between, you know, eight and 12 small business owners every other week for an hour and a half. I'm just, you know, finding out what was going on in people's businesses and kind of workshopping that together as a group. And so that started the year off great. And then when the pandemic hit, and we all panicked, and we were all just dripping in anxiety, I really started to notice how challenging it was for me to balance the whiplash of emotions that people would go through in a single call, in a single month. Like I never knew, and and my full-time employee at the time, and I would talk you know, that you literally never knew what the emotional state of the group was going to be when you got on that Zoom call. And for my neurology and my personality, that is not, that's not good. It is not sustainable. And balancing that throughout the year got harder and harder and harder. I learned a lot. I picked up a ton of skills in that year. And I am grateful for having those skills. But at the same time, I was, I was losing it. And and when I say losing it, you know, that we're talking about like sanity, and I'm literally meaning, (laughs) I started losing my grasp of reality. And certainly any source of emotional equilibrium totally out the window. It was creating relationship problems. It was creating business problems. It was just, it was a really rough year. And it was a rough year, despite it being a good year financially. Like the financial piece wasn't the problem. Even the the results that we were helping people with, even if those results were just feeling like they had some place to talk about what was going on, we were doing great with that. The business was working in a number of different ways, but I was becoming extremely run down losing my sense of identity again, losing just the losing any love for what I was doing. And also just kind of realizing at the end of the day, I didn't have a conscious sort of memory of what had happened during the day. I'd just gone through the motions. So that that kind of accelerated through 2020. In 2021, I decided I needed to take a break from that kind of that kind of facilitation work. I really just needed I needed a break. (laughs) Um, And so that was good because taking the break, even though it hurt financially, it gave me a little more space to focus on work that seems to be the work that I always come back to, which is right podcasting, that kind of like thoughtful communication work, that kind of thinking work. That's where I prefer to operate. And it's sort of like my my North Star. It's where I'm it's it's the point from which I am always navigating. And so early in 2021, I finally had some more space to work on some longer, riskier projects. And even if that project was an article, and that was super enlightening. It's like, oh right this is what I love. This is, this is it. So that was early 2021. By March, April of 2021, I, even though I was enjoying my work more because I was getting to spend more time doing the work that I enjoyed, I was feeling worse. And so I realized that there was 
there was more that I needed to unpack there. And this is this is sort of related to just the exhaustion of 2020 and 2021, but also just sort of an underlying thing. But by March or April, I had started to put the pieces together and started asking the question of, could I be autistic? It was a question that I had kind of puzzled around even in the 90s, when I kind of first learned about Asperger's syndrome and what that looked like. But I put it out of my mind because that was supposed to be something that boys dealt with, not ladies. And and it's definitely something that throughout the years I'd kind of related to, but didn't think that I fit that, that profile. But by March or April, I was sort of regularly getting these hits of other people's experiences through podcast interviews, through articles, through tweets, where I was like, oh, wait, if these people are autistic and they're experiencing these things and, and you know, that I, I feel more seen by these little snippets of stories than I probably ever had, maybe this is something I need to look into. And so looking into that further, doing all of the assessments, talking to my doctor, talking to my therapist, and really coming to the conclusion that yes, I am autistic. In fact, I'm not kind of autistic. I'm definitely <laughs> autistic. And sort of everyone in my life, once, you know, you kind of explain past the, you know, the math obsessed computer programmer stereotype, they're right. like, oh, yeah, that's totally you. So that gave me a new and, and very fruitful, helpful, productive frame for understanding what was going on with me internally. But it also really put into focus how much my work was structured in a way that played on every single one of my weaknesses or deficiencies or impairments, however you want to think about it. I had built this collectivized social business model when operating in that way is not good for me. I I have very collectivist values, very, you know, sort of socially oriented values, but socializing, <laughs> working in, you know, in collective spaces, cooperative spaces is extremely difficult for me. So by the end of 2021, I had decided to step away from that work. That whole transition went much more smoothly than I think any one of us expected. And that meant to get to the real point of your question, sorry. In 2022, <laughs> the sort of tectonic shift that I think people have noticed, even though, as you said, it's been sort of building in this direction, is that I stopped being a content marketer. So for the last 14 years or 13 years, I was a writer, absolutely. I was a podcaster, absolutely. But that work was always done through the filter of marketing. And now when I put out an article, when I put out a, a, a podcast episode, when I pitch a piece to a news outlet, I'm not thinking about what does this piece get me? I'm not thinking about, you know, who, what new person is this going to attract to my audience? How is this going to get me seen? I mean, some of those questions are there, right? But they're extremely secondary. And now it's literally, what is the question that I want to explore? What is the, what ideas do I want to connect 
for people? What do I think is going to be the most valuable for people right now in this moment? What is the most valuable for me (laughs) right now in this moment in terms of ideas and thinking and creativity? And so that to me is the big shift is going from, you know, being quote unquote authentic, being true to myself, true to my values most of the time as a content marketer to being all of those things as a writer and thinker first and foremost. And that shift is what I think is the most visible that, you know, and the, and the most remarked on in the last six, seven months. So first of all, thank you for sharing so much there. And there's a lot to unpack. And the biggest thing on my radar is As you shed the idea of being the content marketer and started to ask yourself very different questions as you're creating and coming up with ideas and concepts, how did that also change your ability to show up as yourself? Like, what else did you notice shift there? So I think that it's it might be helpful to think of well i kind of already I kind of already used this metaphor but to think of content marketing like a filter so i've the questions that i ask today the topics that i consider the the research that i do has always been present in terms of my own internal mental ecosystem but Content marketing was a filter for all of that so that I was always asking myself, basically, uh, are people going to respond to this? And how are they going to respond to this? How do I want them to respond to this? That's essentially what content marketing does is it, you know, it's, it's a way of connecting an idea or a piece of information to a particular response that you're hoping to elicit from your audience. It could be hitting the like button. It could be hitting the share button. It could be buying a product or, or filling out an intake form, right? So a lot of what was interesting to me didn't make it through that filter because I'm a weirdo. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think, you know, and I think that's uh, everyone takes for granted now, I think that we're all weirdos, but like, I'm a weirdo and I, I just, you know, I'm interested in things that I know uh, not everyone's interested in. Right. And so for content marketing, it was more like, okay, what are the things that I can talk about? What are the things that I want to talk about that are also going to meet these external goals and always constantly filtering my thoughts through that? Whereas now, I don't care (laughs) if, you know, people don't want to understand how, say, the Federal Reserve works and what it means when the Federal Reserve raises interest rates and how that impacts the economy and what some of the sort of broader macroeconomic trends are around that. I don't care if you don't think that that impacts your your ability to run a business or to have a freelance career or to be an independent worker, because I know that it does. And my job is to figure out how to make that interesting. If I was doing content marketing, I would not write an 8,000 word piece on whether small business owners should be worried about an upcoming recession. But because I get to say, I know this is a question that people are asking, even if it's not a question that is going to elicit a response like, 
buy my product or hit the like button. I know this is a question that is being asked. This is a question I enjoy exploring. And it's my job then to connect those dots. And I love I love doing that. And so in that way, because the filter is gone, it's less of a filter now and it's more of a craft question. How do I do this in a way that's interesting as opposed to what am I allowing myself to talk about in order to elicit a response? So to your question of do I, you know, am I sort of more me now? Am I am I how is it changing my relationship to myself? I think it is it is more it's like it's sort of being liberated from this from the the weight of that filter and and the the decisions that I knew I needed to make to not just to achieve certain goals but to like keep the wheel turning right to keep the business running I don't have that anymore and so I get to ask really interesting craft questions like how do I so in this example of of should of this piece about the rece- about a recession or recessions in general, I'm able to bring in sort of ecosystem cycling and invasive species cycling and and all of this ecology stuff as a way of framing economic site, both as something that is understandable, but also as something that is much more akin to say invasive species than it is to the natural fruiting cycle of pecan trees, right? And to me, that's really interesting. I've gotten good feedback on the episode that it, it, building that out makes me f- not just feel happy, but it makes me feel whole in a way that I just, I, I couldn't before. Are you enjoying this conversation with Tara as much as I am? Well, I want to encourage you to take your podcast app that you're currently listening from, whether it be Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it, and do a search for Pause on the Play. That's Pause on the Play. Over there, you'll find another incredible episode with Tara where she is interviewed by Erica Corday, and they're digging into the relationship between capitalism and our values, how capitalism has forced our values to take a backseat to our actions, and what happens when values get co-opted by capitalism. You won't want to miss this episode, and you can find it over on the Pause on the Play podcast, or you can read the article at pauseontheplay.com. The last thing we need is another echo chamber, perpetuating a single perspective on how we should live, love, and earn. If you know that there's more than one definition of and path to success, but haven't found a place that encourages this diversity and divergence, good news, your search is over. Ready to find your people? Join us at pauseintheplay.com slash community. Pause in the Play community is where entrepreneurs and brands reconsider their normal in life and in work, and we would love to have you. Again, you can learn more over at pauseintheplay.com, and I look forward to joining you in the room. As you shared what you were saying, and as I've witnessed what's happened in front of me, <laughs> just <laughs> as being, you know, a natural follow of your content, but also, you know, someone who looks to you as a friend and a peer, the word that had come to mind for me before I even invited you today was freedom. Mm-hmm. There's such a freedom that may be possible for people to access and letting go of the title of content marketer. 
And that's been something that I've personally been exploring, but also exploring with our work with clients and our community members. And one of the biggest things that can tend to come up as you are encouraging people to explore their natural curiosities, their natural fuel for their fire, what they're passionate about, or even sharing about their values and what matters to them and what's important is the rebuttal of, well, how, but how will that make money? How will that Mm -hmm. fuel my business? How will that pay my bills? And I get it. Like we have to also still be able to put food on the table. And so I guess my question for you is, you know, in this shift for yourself, what maybe also shifted in your streams of revenue to be able to do this? And as, as our community members say, still put food on the table. (laughs) Yes. So a lot has shifted in terms of revenue streams. While my LLC is the same, the DBA is the same, you know, on the outside, it sort of looks the same. I essentially blew up the business, which is not typically something that I recommend. It's something that, you know, I think most small business owners go through different periods where they're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to blow this up and start over. This was for me a choice of last resort, but I, I blew it up, you know, and, and starting in January, 2022, there was no revenue coming in or there was, there wasn't, there wasn't the kind of revenue that I was used to. There were some, you know, payment plans that were still trickling in and, you know, my creative live checks still came in, but it wasn't that regular cash flow that I was used to having. And a couple of things allowed for that. The first thing is an advance on my book that has kind of allowed me to make sure all the business bills are paid to pay myself a very, a, you know, a small salary and, you know, to, to, to make some investments here and there on things that I need for the business. And then there's been some speaking, there's been some additional class development for creative live. So all of that has brought in some more project-based revenue. I've been doing some freelance writing, which does not bring in much money at all, but it, it's good. (laughs) It's good for me to do. So that's sort of like what happens on my side of things. But our production agency, Yellow House Media, which produces this very fine podcast. And does a great (laughs) job, by the way. That business makes enough that we can pay Sean his regular salary, which was what my salary was before, plus some additional profit that means I have, I have wiggle room. But yeah, I mean, it's, it, Making these shifts kind of career-wise, business-wise meant being willing to let that stuff all disappear and having the privilege to be able to do that because of the position I'd put myself in with starting a second company and selling a book proposal and having recurring revenue that is completely passive from Creative Live. So I could not have done this, I don't know, eight years ago. but. Now, it, it, you know, I've, I have this year to sort of figure out what I want to do next and, and what that's going to look like. And hopefully it's just more of the same, but getting paid for it. <laughs> I have ideas on how to do that. But I needed the space to just step away from having to, quote unquote, make money. But I think much more than the financial puzzle for us is the was the mindset piece, which I 
honestly started getting over in like 2018. But what I mean by the mindset piece is that when you work in business coaching and you work, you know, you're establishing your credibility as a small business expert or a small <laughs> business coach, there is a certain amount of credibility that you connect to the amount of money that you make every year. And as I initially shifted business models from group coaching into community building, and then again, you know, with this last year, I had to unhook my credibility from how much money I made. My credibility doesn't depend on my PL at the end of the year. It doesn't depend on what my W-2 says. It doesn't depend on any of that. What matters is how many people I work with are taking what I share and using it to generate their own results. And even beyond that, it matters what questions I ask that get them asking new questions. It, it matters how I change my thinking or how my thinking evolves that allow their thinking to evolve so that they can make their own choices because it's not all about you know making money for them either. For a lot of them, it's a permission to strive for less or to stop striving for more is probably a better way to say that. It's questioning growth and constant growth as a goal. And so I, I really had to rebuild what I thought made me credible in the marketplace, but and then the marketplace sort of literally, but also in the marketplace of ideas as well. And so that's been a huge part of this shift and something that took a lot of time to really process through. Yeah, I can relate to so much of what you shared there. And for some reason, the word that keeps showing up for me is integrity. Mm. I think that that's a big part of credibility that sometimes we leave behind. Yeah. And there's so much there when you witness the transition and shifts that you've made and the freedom that that's allowed you to live in integrity, not just for yourself and the amount of time that you may need to yourself or to self-care or be with your family, but also the freedom that you have to share wherever your curiosities spark, whatever passions you are currently having and how that may benefit other people. There's just something there to that I think our society can leave behind when it comes to success is that it's not just the money. It's can you be proud of who you are at the end of the day? Yeah. I mean, you you mentioned earlier the sort of cliche question of, well, that sounds great, but how do I make money at that? Or I really like this, this hobby of mine, but how do I make money of out of that? That question? I know. But I mean, it's a legit question. I get it. (laughs) It's a totally legit question. And also it is beyond the legitimacy of, you know, we do need to put food on the table. We do need to pay the mortgage, pay the rent. We, you know, there's all of the stuff that we need money for. Absolutely. But the question itself points to a larger cultural discourse and and cultural value for productivity, for efficiency, for earning your keep, essentially, for earning your self-worth through the system and process of capitalism. And there is such a moral weight to that component. So the question isn't just, how do I make money at that? The question is also, 
how do I make money at that so that I can prove myself to the rest of the world? And the when you when you realize that that's the full question, you can subtract the money part for a minute, and you can say, well, what? Do I, you could essentially, you can separate those things. What do I need to bolster my self-worth? Well, it's not external things, right? I think when we phrase the question that way, we can identify that it is an internal process of recognizing how worthy we really, we already are. And then we can look at the question of how do I make money as a question that is that is disconnected from self-worth. And that might mean turning a hobby into a business, but it also might mean getting a job, right? You know, for the first time, this is so funny. I can't believe I'm going to admit this on a podcast because of all the things that I just said. But, <laughs> you know, I, I've set up LinkedIn alerts for staff writer jobs because I know how valuable it would be for me to work part-time at a publication and get inside the editorial process for a while, you know, for maybe for a couple of years, maybe for longer. I don't know. But I, you know, that would be, it's not something that I'm necessarily that I've set my sights on, but it's an it is a path that I'd be willing to explore. And to do that, why not apply for a couple of jobs and see what happens? I haven't applied for anything yet. Nothing looks good. But but just being willing to even be open to that is very new for me. And I couldn't do that if my self-worth was still attached to how big my business was. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm definitely witnessing on the back end, many entrepreneurs being more open to employment as a part-time thing. And I think that it's probably for another podcast episode at another time and maybe on the pause and the play show. Yeah. I, I think we to. maybe talked about this with Erica. <laughs> yes, but just the job industry of being an employee again for someone else is looking very different than it used to. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I was I actually was just talking about this with a, another interviewer as well that our you know, we I started a piece yesterday on all of the different ways that freedom is interpreted and reinterpreted in the sort of public discourse. And and so it's funny that you mentioned the word freedom earlier, I, I totally identify with the way you use the word, but you know, so much of entrepreneurship, business ownership, freelancing is sold as a form of freedom. Oh God. I know, right? <laughs> but the problem with that is that it does not allow for health insurance. At least no. it doesn't make it easy. There's no unemployment insurance. There's no disability insurance unless you buy those things yourself. Well, you can't buy unemployment insurance yourself. You know, I we pay unemployment insurance for other people, but do we as owners get that? No. Right. And <laughs> many is... entrepreneurs, you know, especially in the first few years, are working way more hours per week for the the job they created. Yeah. <laughs> Their we entrepreneurship. Don't get minimum, wa minimum wage either, right? Like right. there is no job guarantee. There is no guaranteed basic income. There is 
nothing. And our security or our safety nets are all tied to traditional jobs. And so business ownership is not a path to freedom, just sort of unqualified. There are flex, it's a path to some sort of flexibility. Sometimes it's a path to, to a certain brand of freedom, but it's not freedom with a capital F, not that employment is either. But I think, you know, the more we have kind of steeped in this stew of new work, the future of work, we're starting to really recognize that there is no best solution here. There's just making the most out of what our options are. And I, I totally agree that for a lot of small business owners, a lot of freelancers, having a part-time job, having a full-time job, or just you know m- being an active freelancer is a really good option to you know secure some of that stability that we do not have as business owners. I mean, I definitely think that that is like appearing behind the curtain for people who have been thinking about going into business but haven't mm-hmm. quite done it yet or haven't seen it up close of like that is very different than I thought it would have been you know being a college student <laughs> getting started with starting my own and I just kind of wonder as you've made so many shifts especially more recently in your work really this year in your work is there anything showing up for you that's different now than maybe you imagine it would have been in the past. Can I tell you something like just super logistical? Yeah. (laughs) Something super concrete. I took a class at the end of last year on how to pitch articles to publications. So essays, articles, creative nonfiction writing, just sort of as a huge umbrella. And that class, it was two or three hours long, 75 bucks, through Catapult, catapult catapult.co. If anyone is looking for this kind of class or any other kind of writing classes, I completely recommend them. I took this class thinking, okay, publishing things for in other publications is something that I want to pursue next year. I have no idea how to do it. I have no idea, you know, if that's even an option for me or how quickly I could get it spun up. But taking that class made me realize oh, this is very much a possibility. This is, in fact, easier than I thought it was going to be. Not that I've placed lots of articles. I haven't. But the process of reaching out to an editor saying, hey, this is the article I'd love to to write for you. Them getting back and saying, you know, I'm going to pass on that this time, or I like that idea, but can you take this angle instead of the angle you proposed? And you getting back and say, yeah, absolutely. I, I like that better. That happened with to me with, one of the articles that I've written recently, that has shifted my perspective on the viability of just having writing as a career, you know, and I think that so much of what I was doing around building a business was allowing the allowing the message that I didn't fit in the traditional work world you know, there is no career path for me. There's no job for me that's going to actually utilize my skills in in, a, in the way that I, I think they could be. Instead of accepting that framing, realizing that there was absolutely a place for me in traditional media. 
There is absolutely a place for me in traditional publishing. There is absolutely a place for me as a staff writer at some you know spot if that's if I find something that looks interesting. That was a big shift for me. You know, I've been thinking a lot about the message of being unemployable. Brian Clark, who is who was the founder of Copyblogger, he's moved on from well, basically moved on from there. But his main thing now is is or one of his main things is a brand called Unemployable, and you know, there I get it, and I'm a hundred percent. Yeah, yes, am I unemployable? Mostly, but I think the other message under that is that there's not a place for me, and that you know, it's one thing to say. I don't want any of this. It is another thing to frame the narrative around your career, around your your brand as I don't belong. And so that class being something that was so concrete, so logistical, so, you know, just three hours, one Sunday afternoon, it it changed the way I framed how I fit into the world of work. And, and that that was really, really powerful. And it was really exciting. I'm so glad that you've shared that. And I just think that there's no way someone is taking in this conversation that we're having, whether it be through audio or article, and it doesn't have them thinking about what's possible for them and maybe expanding what they may have previously considered. (laughs) (laughs) As well as, I mean, you can't expand what's possible without then trying to now acknowledge what do you want to do with it so I do know you have a book coming out soon which I am so excited about and I would love if you could share with us more about how this book goes into taking a different approach to goal setting yeah so the book is called what works a comprehensive framework to change the way we approach goal setting The subhead was not mine, but it says what it is. I've been talking about it as a radically different approach to goal setting. And so much of what we talked about today is at the heart of this book. There is a lot of my personal narrative in it and a lot of my personal struggles and and processing around identity and emotion and and just how I sort of fit into the rest of the world and, and how I've kind of come to know myself or not know myself. But the the sort of useful piece of it or the like reader directed piece of it <laughs> is around this idea of reframing and and understanding what stories are acting on us when we go to set goals when we say what our values are when we say what our vision is you know there are there are so many stories at play there there are cultural stories there are stories of morality there are stories of sort of uh, response to oppression there's there are so many different ways that stories act on us and they all impact what we choose to pursue in terms of goals and unless we unpack those things unless we identify those stories draw attention to them be aware of them and then work with that awareness to choose what we're going to work toward what we're going to grow toward we're going to be constantly caught up in those 
in those stories. We'll constantly be framing our self-worth as external to us. We'll constantly be seeing, say, seeing ways that we don't belong in the job market or in the future of work. And so this book is, is the f- whole first half is a deconstruction of those stories, a really a personal examination of where they come from, what they might be, how they show up in our daily lives. And then the second half of the book is taking that deconstruction and reconstructing a scaffolding around sort of the, the, I call it little G goal setting as opposed to big G goal setting so that we can create structure in our lives and so that we can make plans and we can accomplish projects, but to do them from a place of real inner knowing as opposed to trying to live up to the stories that we tell ourselves. I love that. I'll also share that I've consumed a bit of your commitment blueprint. So yes, and yes. <laughs> The book is almost entirely new material. The ideas are all of the ideas, not all of the ideas, but the basic premise between the commitment blueprint and the what works book is the same. But I I thought that I was going to expand the commitment blueprint, but what I did was completely rewrite it. So it's uh, barring like three pages from the commitment blueprint that I borrowed heavily from. It is new material. It is new questions. It's a lot of research. It is very research heavy. I, 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 there are very few times when I am willing to say things like this, but I guarantee it is unlike any other book about goal setting you've ever read. <laughs> and I was going to say, I was blown away with that. So already sold, oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> especially because your perspective on goals in general even in the past has just been so different than anything else that I've taken in, in the business space about that. So, well, it's hard one. (laughs) (laughs) It is a hard one perspective. Yeah. So I know that's what I'm excited for in the future. Just curious to know what you're excited for. Oh God. I am equally excited and terrified of this (laughs) book launch. You know, it's, yeah, it's just, it's a lot. It is a big change for me. I'm really excited about the opportunities that are starting to already come my way because of it. You know, getting to talk to different people, getting to write about different things, being approached to write about different things. So yeah, all of that. I'm I'm just, yeah, I'm excited to continue seeing how this year unfolds because I just have no idea what's going to happen. And that is terrifying, but it is also exciting. <laughs> All right. Well, it wouldn't be one of our episodes for our podcast without calling the consumers of this content to take an action. Is there any action that you feel called to have them take today? Yeah. I mean, we've been talking about stories. We've been talking about narratives and and sort of the uh, hidden messages in things. And for me, there has been no more valuable action in the last five or so years than sitting with any problem, any question, any goal that starts to form itself in my brain and asking myself, what, is, what else is going on? Why, why does this feel like a problem? What, what unspoken thing is kind of influencing me or you know pr- framing things in a particular way. So that's the action I would I know it's it's a really thinky action, but it is a thinky action that will change your external actions. So just being willing to 
notice when things feel a little strange or you feel a little pulled in a particular direction, what is going on there? What's the story? What's the cultural influence? How is money impacting those things? And and peeling back the layers to really dig into what those other stories might be and how that frames your perspective on, on what you think you should do next. Thank you so much for sharing, Tara. And Thank I'm just going to say accountability. So I don't forget, I am pre-ordering my book from bookshop.org. That's my action. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, go get the book. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. I so appreciate everything that you've shared, your openness, the kindness, the friendship we've developed over the years. Just thank you so much for being you, Tara. Well, thank you for being you, India. Uh, I so enjoyed this episode with Tara. I mean, that's just a complete <laughs> understatement to how I feel right now. And if you've been listening to previous episodes or reading the previous articles about podcasts being a tool or a resource to amplify your influence, I mean, this episode is just a complete reminder of that for me. I just have so much gratitude for everything that Tara has shared here today, um, the way that Tara shows up in the world the vulnerability and allowing of herself to be witnessed as she has. It's just such a privilege to even have this kind of platform to amplify voices and stories and experiences like hers. So anyway, I could go on and on with all the praises and I just am taking a moment and expressing gratitude for being able to be here with you every month. And also gratitude for you tuning in and taking in the stories and witnessing not just myself, but also my guest and what they have to share and being open to reconsidering what your normal is and recognizing where you have an opportunity to amplify your own influence. There is so much possible for us all out here. And I'm just so grateful and thankful that each of you who are here every week, you know, every month are a true example of creating impact and change and utilizing our access to influence. So thank you for being here. And I can't wait to chat with you in the next episode. The Thought Your Fire podcast is recorded on the stolen land of my brother's ancestors, the Piscataway people. This land is known to many as the capital of the United States, Washington, D.C., and its surrounding area. 